Good morning. I am Reverend Ruth Bell Olson. I'm pleased to welcome you to Mayflower Congregational Church, where we believe faith is a journey, God is good, Jesus saves, and the Spirit leads us toward faith, hope, and love as we honor the dignity of all God's children. We are so happy that you're here with us today as we continue our journey of faith in this worship service. We've increased our capacity here in the sanctuary to 60 people. So whether you're here with us live or watching us on the live stream, we are so glad you're with us. Leading worship with me this morning, we have Reverend Dr. Jonathan White, Dr. Julia Brown, our director of music, and Scott Bosher, our choir director, who is also our cantor this morning. As always, we extend gratitude to Pat McGuire, who's behind the scenes making our live stream possible. Last week, we showcased Mayflower Youth in our children's musical, the Lost Boy. We hope you enjoyed it, and if you missed it, you can still watch it from our web uh, website. So for more information about today's music, please welcome Dr. Julia Brown. Because today is the first Sunday that we are in this space partaking communion together, the music was picked uh, with a communion theme. So you'll hear a lot of Bach today. We started with Bach, um, this beautiful, peaceful, intimate chorale for communion, which uh, has the chorale tune ornamented in the right hand. Um, this was both Mendelssohn and Schumann's uh, favorite chorale by Bach. This was 100 years after it was written. Um, Schumann supposedly says, said that if hope and belief were taken from him, that this piece would renew that. And the closing chorale in the postlude is also uh, communion-themed, and um, in a completely different character, you'll hear the theme in the petals, um, and it is a Jesus Christus unser Heiland, so Jesus Christ our Savior. Um, it, it would have been played during the distribution of bread and wine, both in Weimar and Leipzig, where Bach lived. And um, because it portrays the passion of Jesus, um, you'll hear in the middle of that postlude these chromatic scales going up and down, portraying his suffering. But then towards the end of the piece, you'll hear that Bach writes fast-moving 30-second uh, notes, which uh, is a symbolism of joy. So when you start hearing that, that is Bach trying to bring the joy of resurrection. And also by Bach, you will hear Scott singing during the offertory, um, a piece that brings in uh, musical motifs from the St. Matthew Passion. It begins with a recitative, and recitatives were used to move along the text or the story quickly. And then um, at the end, you will hear a setting of the Passion Chorale, uh, Bach used that chorale five times within the Passion uh, story of St. Matthew. So um, 
it's so good to be here in this space with all of you and makes it even more special that we will be partaking communion together. Thank you, Julia. Our eighth graders have begun the confirmation process. And last week we began with the question, what is a faith journey? So please remember them in your prayers and mark your calendars for the celebration of our confirmands on Pentecost, May 23rd. Also for your calendar, please make sure to join us for the annual meeting, which will be held via Zoom after Sunday worship on June 6th. Also on June 6th, we will be celebrating the tremendous service of Reverend Dr. Jonathan White. As many of you are aware, Jonathan has been our interim senior pastor for almost one year. He came out of a well-deserved retirement from Grand Valley State University, and he is serving us, his beloved church. He's done far more than we could have asked or expected, and his term here has been much longer than he first anticipated. So it's with joy and gratitude that we announce Pastor White's last official Sunday with us will be June 6th. Our annual meeting will include a celebration of his service to Mayflower, so please plan to be with us, and we can wish him a happy, healthy, and rewarding retirement. As the search committee continues its diligent work seeking our permanent senior pastor, we will enjoy a diverse series of guest preachers this summer. So look for more information about our summer programming. And on a somber note, we are sad to announce that Jackie Sawyer, a longtime member of Mayflower, passed into the eternal presence of the Lord on April 22nd. So please remember the Sawyer family in your prayers, and a memorial service is scheduled here on June 27th. We also mourn the loss of Bob Berniker. Bob was a faithful member of the Monday afternoon men's Bible study and a good friend to many. And also please note that Jean Boyden's celebration of life service will be held May 15th at 2 o'clock at Sunnybrook Country Club. Well, we have many traditions here at Mayflower, and one of them is reading scripture in our morning worship services. So this morning, we're going to begin with a little different twist to our service by engaging the biblical narrative as the starting point for our worship. Today, we are reminded that the resurrection is part of a much larger story, and one way to frame this is by entering into one of the most fascinating Old Testament stories of David and Goliath. So, let us begin the story found in the book of Samuel, chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. They were gathered at Sokah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sokah and Azekah in Ephistimum. Saul and the Israelites gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and formed ranks against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had greaves of bronze on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. 
the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to drop for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, Today I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. to worship this morning, if you feel comfortable, please join me in the refrain, which is printed in bold. Out of the darkness of grief and despair, out of Goliath-sized fear, comes a message of hope. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. We run to the tomb to see for ourselves, how could this be possible? Yet it is true, Christ is risen Christ is risen indeed. We hear a voice call our name, and we know our risen Lord is with us now and always. Christ is risen. Christ Christ is risen risen. indeed.
please pray with me. Oh God, bless us this morning with resurrection rampage. A rampage that summons us to shout yes to the birth of new creation in our midst. May we experience a renewed awe at the mystery of this. May we find ourselves in this continuing story of how resurrection is being ushered into our reality every day, both in our lives and in this congregation. Let us beware of all those things that seek to pull us down to despair. We are your Easter people. Amen. Continuing in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took the provisions, and went as Jesse had commanded him. He came to the encampment as the army was going forth to the battle line, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines grew up, drew up for battle, army against army. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, ran to the ranks, and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the Israelites, when they saw the man, fled from him and were very much afraid. The Israelites said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. The king will greatly enrich the man who kills him and will give him his daughter and make his family free in Israel. David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done for the man who kills him.
that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk, for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I'm not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, 
Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. But David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all, that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine drew nearer to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, striking down the Philistine and killing him. There was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine. He grasped his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him. Then he cut off his head with it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? O Holy One unending love. Help us to understand. Help us to see your spirit. Help us to seek the spirit. Help us to live the spirit. This we ask in your many holy names. Amen. When we deal with abstract concepts like resurrection. Many times we simply miss the point because we don't know how to read the Bible. For example, the story that we just heard sounds like a variation of Jack and the Beanstalk. David becomes the giant killer, just as Jack becomes the giant killer. When we hear stories of Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, told three different ways in the book of Acts. We think of Paul simply falling in the midst of a light and having this immense conversion experience. And when we hear stories of resurrection, we often don't know what to make of it. Have you ever seen anything resurrected in your life? Have you ever seen anything that was and disassembled reassemble itself and become living? Yes, you have. Everybody in this sanctuary is resurrected stardust. Every element in our body is composed of the same elements that stretch for 13.8 
billion light years. And for some reason, that's because of the redshift, we can see 45.6 billion light years. Still trying to get my head around that. Pretty hard for an historian. Maybe I should have studied science. What I would like to suggest is to understand issues like resurrection, like unending love, like this mystery that we call God. We have to look at the Bible in the reality of the Bible, the historical setting and the cultural setting. And we have to realize that the people who wrote the Bible did not think they were sitting down and saying, oh, I think I'll write a book in the Bible today. Or the author of 1 Samuel 17, who sat down and recorded this story, was not thinking, huh, this will be a book in the Old Testament. Paul did not sit down and dictate a letter to the Romans thinking, Here's a good book for the New Testament. These books are all unrelated. We related them later. The church drew them together. Some books made it in. Some books didn't. Some books are completely lost. Some books are duplicated. Each book has its own theology and each book is telling its own story. And the story is not necessarily for the people who are looking for the story of Jack and the Beanstalk. They are written to convey a deep psychological truth, a mystery of our existence where we encounter the holy. Let's take this old familiar story. You probably first heard it when you were young in Sunday school or in Bible school or some setting like that. And it's an entertaining story for kids. But it's set out in a set type. I have to admit, I'm a John Wayne fan. I grew up watching John Wayne. Love John Wayne movies. And for the most part, Every John Wayne movie is the same John Wayne movie. Uh, in fact, Rio Lobo, uh, Howard Hawks made that three times and just gave nif different names to the people. Uh, there was the kid named after a state. In one version, James Conn played Col Colorado. And another version, or Mississippi, excuse me. And Ricky Nelson played Colorado in another version. But it was the same story. There was a drunk trying to amend himself. There was John Wayne. Uh, there was the kid who wanted to be like John Wayne and was learning how to be. And there was the bad guy who was pure evil. There was not one good thing at all about the bad guy. And he was surrounded by other bad guys. Nothing good about them. And John Wayne would triumph in the end. Hebrew storytelling is a lot like that. Hebrew storytelling sets a stage. On one hand, you have the way of the world. On the other hand, you have a person who has to make a decision. That person looks at the way of the world 
And then there's an intervening variable. And that intervening variable is the holy. The protagonist of the story must choose between the way of the world or the holy. Thirty years ago, I did not read the Old Testament. I thought it was a boring, nonsensical, bloody book. Thank, thank you, Reverend Dr. Tom Bogart, Professor of Old Testament Emeritus at Western Theological Seminary. On the day when he asked me a question in class and I said, I don't know, Tom, I don't read the Old Testament. And he looked at me and said, you're telling that to me? And I said, yeah. He said, let me take you to the Old Testament. I sent him a text earlier, or last week, and said, Tom, if your ears are ringing on Sunday morning, I'm going to tell your story about David and Goliath. Now we start out with the Philistine army drawing up, representing the way of the world. And they are on one side of the valley. And the Israelite army is drawn up on the other side of the valley. And Saul is in charge of the Israelites. The way of the world, and Saul has to make a decision. Let's go back to some of the passages that Ruth just read. And there came from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. This is a big dude. What comes next is the longest description of weaponry in the Bible. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had greaves of bronze on his leg and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. A lot of people groan at my jokes. What comes next is a Hebrew joke. With this description of the mightiest warrior in the world, and his shield bearer went before him. Okay, you groan at my jokes, groan at the Hebrew joke. You see this mighty warrior, and here's a little guy carrying a shield out in front of the warrior. And then this man of the world, this, as Napoleon said, God is on the side of the heavy battalions. Why have you come out to draw for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not a servant of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. And you know the rest of the story. But if I win, then you're going to be our servants. And then Saul listens to this. 
And Saul thinks, who can I get to fight this guy? Huh. Where's God, Saul? You're looking at the mighty warrior. Now we see David appearing. Saul and all the men of Israel were in the valley. David rose early in the morning, left the sheep of the keeper, took the provisions and went to Jesse, went as Jesse had commanded him. He came to the encampment as the army was going forth into battle, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle. David left the things in charge of the keeper of baggage and ran to the ranks and went to greet his brothers. And then as he talked with them, the champion of the Philistines of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke to them the same words as before. Hebrew narrative moves fast when they're telling the story, when they're setting that scene like the John Wayne movie. When they get to the dialogue, things slow down. And God makes an appearance. Goliath comes out, says the same words, goes through the whole thing. The whole Israelite army is shaking and it ends with this phrase that's translated into English here. And David heard him. This is not a man of the world trying to make a decision. When David, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said, Let no one's heart fail because of him, for your servant will go fight this Philistine. And he tells about slaying bears, and he tells about slaying lions. And Saul says, Hey, you're just a kid. You can't do this. And David said, Paraphrasing, you're thinking of the ways of the world. I'm thinking of the power of God. I didn't slay the bear. I didn't slay the lion. God, God's power, God's power in me killed the animal. Well, Saul thinks, I've got to do something. So he says, okay, go fight the giant. And then Saul, who is still thinking in the ways of the world, it's the XM1 tank with the 125-millimeter hypervelocity cannon that could take on the lighter Russian T-95. By the way, as someone who has studied national security and counterterrorism for most of his academic life, I appreciate that. I'm not suggesting we completely leave the ways of the world. But I am saying there is something more powerful, something deep in our psyche, something that longs for the holy. David tries to walk with all that armor, but he can't do it. So he takes it off. David selects five smooth stones. 
I wonder about the number five. There's something I'm missing in the story and something missing in the scholars who have examined it because five is not a number that is typically typically used in Hebrew literature and Christian literature and Islamic literature, the three religions who believe in the single God. The numbers three, four, seven, twelve, and derivations of those numbers convey the holy, not five. But for some reason, the storytellers put in five stones. And then Goliath comes up. And you heard Ruth read the words, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Here's a man of the world. David says to him, You come to me in the name of your gods. But I come to you in the name of the one God, the Holy, the creator of this cosmos, the force that makes stars, the force that makes galaxies explode, the force that creates life. And today, I'll defy your way of the world. The narrative speeds up again. Goliath comes forward. David puts a stone in the sling, slings it around and throws it, hits him in the head. And notice what Goliath does. It's not the slaying of the giant. Goliath does what? He falls and goes prostrate. He is in the worship position. He is no longer a man of the world. He's a man who is worshiping God. Now I can see many of you who have the hair the same color that I have of raised teenagers. And you know that sometimes... It's easier to get teenagers in church, and sometimes it's not. It took a while to get Goliath to church. And then what happens next? My professor, Tom, said he was sure that Jesus had this in mind in the Garden of Gethsemane when he told Peter, put away your sword. Because those who live by the sword die by the sword. Goliath loses his head with his sword. David doesn't have one. How do we approach these stories? How do we come to the garden? And have Mary look and think she sees the gardener. How do we come to an empty tomb and have people think that they've seen angels? How do we gather in a room and have the very image of Christ appear? what the Hebrew storytellers were trying to get across to us. 
It's what the New Testament storytellers were trying to get across to us. It's why Luke would tell that story of Paul's conversion in three different ways. Meister Eckhart, medieval theologian and mystic, put it this way. He looked at the words of Psalm 62. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard. We can hear in the way of the world. But there's a hidden message there. It's a a message to our inner psyche. It's a message of our true self. Not the self we project to others. Not our Sunday morning smiles. But our inner heart. The heart that God knows. Once God has spoken. Twice. Sunday morning smile. Inner heart. Twice I have heard. And as the psalmist says in the 42nd Psalm, be still and know that I am God. How do we understand resurrection? Don't look to the way of the world. Look to your true self. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. In the name of God the Creator, God the Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Now is the time in our service when we prepare to receive the offering. For those of you here in person, looks like there are baskets being circulated. Thank you for your generous, generous support of the ministry of Mayflower. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, And gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit, this fruit of the vine, until that sacred celebration, one of the things that we will celebrate is the ability to have this sacred Eucharist together for the first time. 
We come to this table not because we must, but because we are invited. We come to this table because resurrection is real. We come to this table because people who experienced the holy wrote stories. And those stories are told and told and retold. And we encounter the holy when we experience those stories. We come to this table because Jesus is alive. We come to this table, this resurrection table, because God has invited us. So come from the east and come from the west. Come from the north and come from the south. Woman or man, Gentile or Jew, servant or free, young or old, come to the feast, for all is ready. into being, all the ends of the earth and far corners of the universe sing your glory, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. You are holy, God of Abraham and Sarah, and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is blessed forever. Lord, we are not worthy, but say the word and we shall be healed. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And now, O Lord, hear us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let us pray. Forever and ever is your reign of glory, O Lord. Come now with your Holy Spirit and anoint these gifts of bread and wine. Refresh us with the spirit of the risen Christ so that we may be one people in this one bread, one body, and one Lord of all. Amen. Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. 
For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Ministering to you in the name of Christ, we share the bread. In the same manner, he took the cup and said, This is the cup of the new covenant. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Ministering to you in the name of the risen, resurrected Christ, we share the cup. give thanks. With gratitude in our hearts, we remember the sacrifice, and we thank you, Lord, that you have refreshed us at this table as we remember Jesus falling on the road to Calvary. We believe that when we are brought home to you, when we are gathered with our sisters and brothers from all ends of the earth, we will sing your glory and grace forever. God in community, Holy in one. Amen.
Absolutely wonderful to celebrate the Eucharist together in this sacred place where heaven and earth are joined. Children of God, go from this place confident in mystery, comfortable in mystery and into mystery. There is resurrection. I don't understand it in the way of the world. I do understand it in my heart. You can understand it too. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.